Good morning. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. And I'm glad for those of you who are uh, watching on YouTube right now, I'm glad that you've joined uh, with us as well. And I'm looking forward to exploring what God says in His Word about life in the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. If you, The only announcement I have is if you or if you're watching, uh, anybody here wants to participate in the adult Bible study at 1130, uh, we are going to continue talking about um, Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 14 on speaking in tongues. We've been working through 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. Uh, we're going to continue that this morning. If you're interested, uh, shoot me an email or a text and I will get you the link to that. It, it, we do that on Zoom and um, we do that at 1130 uh, a.m. Central Time, so shoot me a text and I will get you the link to that. Okay, if we could uh, stand and begin worship. Let's begin this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sins. Hear the Gospel of Christ from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. So this is following up on a series, this is a, a series of readings that we've had on Sunday morning from parables that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
Okay, the epistle reading is uh, Romans 8, uh, 1 through 17, and we talked about Romans 8, 1 through 4 last week, so we're going to start at verse 5 in the sermon, but I do want to read uh, verses 1 through 17 to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that, that last line, they walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now he's going to explain for the rest of our reading what that means, what that looks like. And that's what I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the life, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also uh, be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, super dense text. There's so much in here that I'm not going to talk about. Uh, but let me just point out a few things that go along with the main thrust of Paul's argument so far. So, so Romans 5 through 8, he's telling the story of the whole world from Adam, the fallen Adam, uh, through Exodus, through the giving of the law, Romans 7, through uh, Jesus and the Spirit, Romans 8, that's where we're at now, to new creation, end of Romans 8. Uh, when God sets all things to right, that's where we're going to be in a few weeks. And uh, do you remember his, basically what he's been saying the past few weeks since we've been in Romans 7 is, you know, from your baptism, from becoming a Christian to new creation, how, how do you get from Exodus to the promised land? How do you get from becoming a Christian to the new creation, to Jesus returning? The answer in the Bible, if you just read the Bible on the surface, it looks like it might be the law. Like the way to get there is this set of rules that God gives us. And actually, there's an important place for the law. We don't want to get into that again because that's Romans 7. But Paul insists that the law ultimately can't get you. And that actually what can get you there, this is last week, is life in the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit. So that was the last line of verse 4, right? Uh, this is um, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who walk according to the Spirit. So that raises the question that we're going to spend some time on. How do I live in the Spirit? What do I have to do to walk in the Spirit? Like, what does that mean? What do I have to do to be a, the, per, the kind of person who's walking in the Spirit? And I'm going to give you uh, three things here that Paul says. And roughly it goes, this is kind of the, this is what each of these three points sort of smells like. First of all, you don't need to answer that question. You don't need to ask that question, uh, one. Second of all, okay, you've asked the question, but it's the wrong question. And then third of all, Okay, you keep asking the question. Let me give you a little bit of pointers here. Let me give you some ideas. That's what Paul's going to do. First of all, he's going to say, uh, you don't need to answer that question. Then he's going to say, well, okay, but it's the wrong question. You can ask it, but it's the wrong question. And then third, he's going to say, okay, you pressured me. I'll give you some pointers. So first of all, let's start off with the question, how do I walk in the Spirit? How, what does it mean to live life in the Spirit? And Paul's first point, which is you don't need to, answer that, you don't need to ask that question because you already are in the Spirit. You don't need to do something to get into the Spirit. You already are in the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, look at verse 9 with me. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you don't need to do anything. to, As a Christian, you don't need to do anything to live life in the spirit. You already are living life in the spirit. So in the way that he says it is this. I think this is kind of cool. Look back at verse 9 again. He, he, he mentions a member of the Trinity four times. He starts, this is about the Spirit, right? So he's going to start off with the Spirit. You, are, uh, uh, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God, so he says Spirit, you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God, so he changes it from Spirit to Spirit of God, dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he changes it to Spirit of Christ. And then finally, in verse 10, he just says Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, etc., so why is he doing this? Why is he moving from the Spirit to the Spirit of God? And I think that maybe we can assume he means like God the Father, the Spirit who comes from God the Father. Spirit to Spirit of God to Spirit of Christ to just Christ. Why does he do that? Because the answer to the question, well, it's not even really an answer. The foundation to what he's about to say in reply to our question, how do I walk in the Spirit, starts off not with information, but with relationship. And that relationship is already there. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when you were in high school, when you were a freshman, and uh, you showed up, and, you know, first of all, you're just scared witless. But then after a little bit of time, you're thinking, okay, so there's that group over there, and they seem like I'd be interested in hanging out with them, and that group over there seems kind of cool. And there's these, little, there's these groups that you want to get in, these, these relationships that you want to get into. And that doesn't actually go away. I mean, when you're a freshman, you kind of wear it on your sleeve and you get probably too emotionally volatile about those sorts of things. But it, it never goes away, this feeling like I want to like, have close friends. I want to be on the inner, some inner circle. That desire, that, that desire is programmed into you because you were made to look like God. And if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally in relationship with each other, forever like this primal secret, not even secret anymore, this primal click, click's the wrong word because it sounds like they're, they're exclusionary, this primal friendship group at the center of the mystery of the universe. You and I have been invited as Christians into that group. Now this is going to get super explicit in Romans 8 starting in verse 26 and we'll get there in a few weeks. But Paul's trying to make really clear that your relationship with Jesus isn't this sort of like Hey, let's make a deal. You believe in me, I'll get you out of hell. It's actually inclusion into this Ur relationship, this deep, permanent relationship at the heart of the universe. The relationship that all of our other relationships, like, the, the, like if you've got a great relationship with your spouse or kind of a shaky relationship with your spouse and you wish it was better, if you have a great relationship with your kids, if you have these friends that you're like your best friends and you do everything together, all of these relationships, which are beautiful, by the way, beautiful and given by God, are actually just echoes of this one central relationship at the heart of the universe that we were created in his image to look like. We have been invited into that. Okay, now what does that mean for, for what we're about to talk about? It means this, that the question of how do you walk in the Spirit is not about an experience. Like, I don't know if I'm doing it or not. Like, I don't necessarily feel like... It's not about, like... Um, Something you feel even. It's not even like, well, I don't really feel like God's present. It's not, it's, it's, it's not about an experience or a feeling. It's about a relationship. It's about being connected to God. And I, I know that sort of like raises the question, okay, well, then you're just putting off my question, which is how do I feel connected to God? And just bear with me for a few minutes because the important point I want to make right now is not a technique point. It's a relationship. I just want us to know that what we're exploring is about relationship. It's not about what I feel like, don't look inside of yourself. Like, do I really feel like connected to the Spirit? That's not the point. The point is outside of us. The point is in this relationship with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ. That's the point, okay? Now, the payout of this relationship, I'm not blowing you off. We'll get back to, like, what does it look like in just a few minutes. The, the payout of this relationship is, is like this deep assurance that all things will be well with us. Look at verse 11. If you're connected with Jesus... If you're connected with the Holy Spirit, if you're connected with God the Father, if you're walking in the Spirit, verse 11 is true. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so the Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead, He dwells inside of me and you as Christians, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Your ultimate destiny as a human being, your ultimate destiny is not death. 
and, you know, dissolving in the grave and oblivion and never to be remembered anymore by generations hence. Your ultimate destiny, because you have the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead inside of you and me, we have that. Our ultimate destiny is that we will be raised from the dead someday too. Now this is just a little hint of what he's going to really expound starting in verse 18. This future, my Bible's heading says future glory. And he's really going to unpack this. What does it mean to be guaranteed that we will rise from the dead and that God will fix the environment and make everything new? Right now you're just getting a taste of that. The assurance that that will happen comes because you have the Spirit of God uh, dwelling in you. Okay, so now let's go back to like this assurance through this relationship. Why does God make such a big deal about our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in order for us to have this confidence that all things will be well with us, which is a fancy way of saying you believe the gospel. You believe that God is going to make you and your life and your relationships and the environment new someday. How does that work? Let me give you an example. So I'm answering the question, why does Paul go to relationship to answer that question, relationship with the Trinity? Okay, so I, if you're like me, and the older you are, the less you will be like this, and the younger you are than me, the more you will be like this. Like, I have not watched a political debate in maybe 20 years. I don't watch politicians talk. Because I just assume that all of them from both parties are lying to me. I just, I'm just maybe, I'm, maybe I'm overly cynical. I'm willing to be talked off of that. Except for Kurt there. It would never lie to me. So, sorry, Kurt. I just assume that I'm being lied to. That, I'm, that people are using words to manipulate me to get them to do what they want. I, just, I, just, I haven't watched a debate in 20 years. I feel the same way when like, I watch TV and like, a car commercial comes on. Then my grandfather, if he saw a car commercial and he was you know, interested in shopping for a car, he'd be like, okay, I need to write this down. What are this guy's prices and like, what are the features on these cars that he's got selling? And you know, What years does he have on his lot? I, I, don't, I, do, I don't, if you're like me, like a car commercial comes on and you just, like your brain does this thing where it just bleeps it out. Like you, don't, you can like even be sitting there looking at the TV and not hear a single thing. Because I've trained myself that that person is just using words to try to manipulate my money out of me, right? Now, right or wrong, that's the way I am. I apologize if that's wrong. If Angela calls me and says, hey, I'm making this Indian dish tonight that you really, really like, I get super excited. Now, why is it that I don't say to her, well, I don't really believe you? Or say, like, you need to... Give me three reasons. Like, prove to me that you're going to make that Indian dish. Why do I not say that to her? It's actually because I'm in a relationship with her. Like, I know her. And I know that when she calls and says we're having Indian tonight, like, I'm getting Indian tonight. That's the way it works. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul, here's what Paul could do. You could say to him, Paul, I don't, need, I don't know. How do I know that I'm walking with the Spirit? How do I know that it's guaranteed that all things are going to be well with me? That I'm in the circle. He could, do you think, what we want when we ask that question typically betrays relationship gap. What we want is like, okay, give me three rational reasons, God, why I should believe in you. Give me three reasons why I should believe you're true. And God doesn't give reasons because reasons aren't believed any more than I believe politicians are car salesmen. What, what we believe is relationship. That's how you come to know and believe something is if you're in a relationship with somebody. So God keeps his promises. The promise of the gospel, how do you know? Because you know him. You're in this relationship with him. Now, in the second point, we're going to talk about what that relationship actually looks like. But let me get to, so the first one is, you don't need to ask that question because you're already living in the spirit. I'm, I, as, as Christians, I'm promising you that. I'm not offering you proof. You wouldn't believe proof if I gave it to you. If I sent you home with the three reasons why you're really a Christian, you would come back next week and say, I don't know if I believe those reasons anymore. What I'm offering you is relationship with the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's when you know that you're getting Indian tonight for dinner in the relationship. But the second way, let's talk about the question, but ultimately it's the wrong question. This, what, 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 do, I ha- what do I have to do to live in the Spirit is the wrong question because it assumes, check this out, it assumes that there's a technique to it. It assumes that there's a technique to being a Christian or to living in the Spirit. And there's not. There's not a technique. So let me give you, there's two ways, there's two wrong ways to think about living in the Spirit, technique ways. And then there's a third right way, which is 
a relationship way, like I just said. I'm going to give you the two wrong ways, and then I'm going to give you the relationship way again, but I'm going to give you exactly what kind of relationship Paul has in mind that you can actually get at. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm living with Jesus, all right? Here's the wrong ways. Look at verse uh, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We are debtors not to, not to the flesh. Like Dot, 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 you assume. Okay, so it, it seems like he's going to come along and he's going to eventually say, so what am I a debtor to? So, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. Okay, so what, what are we debtors to? You can just keep on reading here. He actually doesn't get to what you're a debtor to. He doesn't come back to that part of the sentence. And, and the reason why is because you aren't a debtor. You're not a debtor to the flesh. That's not how you connect with God. That's not how you walk with the Spirit. You're also, here's the second way. The first way, you're not a debtor. Second way is, look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. You also don't come to a relationship with God as a slave. Or, we've talked about this before, slavery is not the same as uh, antebellum American South slavery. It's a little bit different. It's still bad in the ancient world but maybe a closer parallel for us understanding it, because none of us have been slaves in here before, is as a worker. You don't, you don't come to God, you don't, you don't get at this assurance that I'm walking in the Spirit as a debtor or as a worker, as a slave, okay? So what, what do debtors do? Like, I, I, I'm a debtor to a, a bank w- with whom I have a mortgage. What, how does my relationship with my creditor work? It works like this. They leave me alone, I send them money once a month, and then that's how it is. If I want that relationship to continue, if I want to keep my house, I continue sending them money. That's what it means to be a debtor, right? That, that's not, that's what a debtor is. What does it mean to be a slave or a worker? Like, so, go to work, you have a boss. How do I relate to that boss? How do I relate to my employer? Well, I show up on time, I do the work, he or she continues to pay me. That's how, it, that's how it goes. I have to do something. If I don't, they'll dissolve that relationship. If I want to maintain that relationship, if I want to maintain the relationship with my creditor, if I want to retain, maintain the relationship with my boss, I have to continue either paying them or showing up and doing work consistently, else they will get rid of that relationship. That's not the way that God relates to us, though. He relates to us as Father to children. Keep on reading in verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, you guys have heard this before probably. Aramaic word. It's kind of a familial word between uh, child and father. It's a little bit more intimate than father. It's not as colloquial as like daddy. I've heard that before. But it's, it's, it's like personal relationship word between a child and father. That's how, we, that's how you know. That's how you know you're getting Chinese tonight. Not because you work for it, not because you're paying off a debt, but because you are a child. So if my son Harry comes to me and he says, hey, what do I I owe you this month, you know, to be your son? I would actually be offended. I would say, like, you don't get it, kid. You already are my son. You can't do anything to change that. If he comes to me and he says, like, if I'm, Dad, if I mow the yard this month, like, will you let me still stay here and be your son? I would say, you're not understanding father-son relationships. That's like the problem with the older son and the prodigal son, right? Like, I've done all this work for you. I should be on the end. You're always on the end, son. That's what the father says in the prodigal son. What I would do instead is, and I'm borrowing this from one of our members, this picture, is I would take his face in my hands And I would say to him, Harry, you are my son. No questions asked. I love you forever. And I would do that until he actually got it. But when he gets it, it will not be because I've given him three reasons that he he is my son. It's not because I've like dug up the birth certificate to prove it to him. It's not because, it's especially not because I've given him, uh, you know, a list of payments that he has to make every month with interest in order to be my son. It's not because I've said, well, as long as you keep mowing the yard, you're my son. It's because we are there hand on face, looking into his eyes, saying, you are my son. And now here, I'm going to make this point real quick. Some of us imagine that like Christianity is, like I know the three reasons why I'm a Christian. Or Christianity is even worse, like I'm paying off this debt. Like every month I put my tithe payment in, or I go to church, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave, I'm a serve, I'm a good worker. I show up at church and I, I do my stuff. 
And what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for not knowing if God is really there. Not knowing if you actually are living life in the Spirit. Because what you're doing is you're avoiding the relationship. You're turning your face away from the hands of God and insisting, like the older brother and the prodigal son, that I can be a slave, I can be a debtor, and I can make this work. But you haven't, you haven't been given over to the, slave, uh, the, the spirit of slavery or the spirit of debtor. You're not a debtor. You are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you know what that means? That means that you own the whole shebang. You don't have to earn anything. Look at verse 17. If you are a child of God, if Abba Father is your voice, I'm sorry, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It only happens in the relationship with the Spirit. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You know what that word heirs means? It means that you own everything. The entire universe belongs to you. You have to fight for nothing. You have to earn nothing. And I'm not talking about salvation or going to heaven. I'm talking about like your paycheck. I'm talking about the sense of status that you get from the house that you own or from the way that you dress or from the way that your friends think that you're funny or they think that you're intelligent or they think that you're a nice, thoughtful person. You don't have to own any of that because you already own it. My son doesn't have to mow the yard to be my son because he already owns the yard. He already owns the whole house. This is what God is offering us in relationship. This is what walking with the Spirit means is this relationship with him. Now, if you don't experience this relationship, all I can do is say, Take your face, and as best as you can, stick it up in God's face and say, wrap your hands around my face, look me in the eyes, and tell me, I am your son, or I am your daughter, you are my father. And just say that. The psalmist says this all the time. Like, say, he says in Psalm 30-something or other, say to me, God, I am your salvation. Like, tell me, I need to hear this. I don't need the rational proofs. I don't need a list of things to do. I need you to look me in the eye and say, I am your father. That's what I'm doing this morning. That's what Paul's doing. You already walk with the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ is yours. You guys are children of God in Jesus Christ. That's a promise that you have to believe if you're going to make the next step, which is step three. Okay, so actually, what are some pointers to what this might actually look like in my life? Okay, Paul says, let's do, let's do this. Verse five. Those who live, now I want you to pay attention to the word mind. He's going to say the word mind a bunch of times here. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? The things of the flesh are what I've been talking about, as, as he calls them in Galatians 5, the, the, weeds of the, the weeds of the flesh. Like, my identity is making money. My identity is pleasure, whatever that is, you know, like vacations or sex or, uh, you know, good food. All these things, by the way, like really good gifts of God. You know, God gave us vacations and sex and good food so that we could enjoy others and enjoy him. But to make those our goal, to set our minds on those things, is, leads to death. It leads to corruption. It leads to a dissolution of our lives. If your identity is in anything outside of Christ. So to set your mind on the flesh is death. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse uh, 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. I just said that. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here, here's just a tip. I'm not going to tell you how to walk in the Spirit because it's not a technique. You already are in the Spirit. But I can tell you what it'll look like. And it'll look like your mind set on the things of God. And now I know I keep on pushing back the question. Paul does, okay, so what does it mean? What does it mean for to look my mind to be set on the things of God? What does that look like? And he doesn't really get it, into it too much here. He's mainly determined to show you that the law can't get you to the new creation, but life in the Spirit can. In Galatians 5, though, he actually gets more in detail. And so let me read this to you. This is the famous fruit of the Spirit text. And he, he sets it up with like all these weeds of the flesh, all these like things, pursuing the things of the flesh, what they lead to. And then in verse 22, he gets to what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. What's the fruit that your life will bear as you walk in the Spirit? And he says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is, you guys have heard this before, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, what I want you to notice about those words, two things. First of all, they're all relationship words. I know that joy, just by itself, might appear to be like kind of like, oh, you can have that on your own. But the rest, of, in context, it's hard to see that because the rest of them are like relationship words. What does it mean to be filled with love? It doesn't mean like I just walk around with this feeling of generic love in my heart. It means that I like think of you guys more highly than I think of myself. What does it mean to be patient? It doesn't just mean like I'm a patient person, like deep inside. No, it means like when 
things don't go right or when I'm with people who are like not doing what I want them to do, like I remain patient. It's, it, these are relationship words, right? So let me just give you an example. I'm not going to unpack these because we don't really have time. We're almost done here in a second. And also, by the way, if you, if you do come to the adult Bible study, I'm planning on unpacking this next Sunday. We'll get to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 next Sunday. But let me just give you a little example from my own life. I'm not, it's not really an example. I'm just kind of examining my own life. One of the fruits of the Spirit here is gentleness. Gentleness. Again, it's a relationship word, right? When am I not? When is Aaron Miller not gentle? When is it that I become rough and kind of a bully and kind of demanding? It's, it's never when I'm getting my way. Like if somebody says, oh, you are so smart, that decision you made just nailed it. Perfect. I'm always like, yes, that's right. But when somebody, which happens more often than the first example, when somebody says like, oh, I don't know if we should do that like that. Or an angel like kind of gives me that look like, ah, that was dumb what you just said at the dinner party. Or when my kid's like, I don't want to do that. That's when I lose my gentleness, right? I mean, that's when I'm like, you live in my house, you will obey me, kid. That's when I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. You know, elders meeting, like, no, 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 you don't understand the decision. You, do you know Greek? So like, I'm in charge here. That's when I pull out the non-gentle bully stuff, right? What am I doing? Why am I doing that? Let me give you the answer and then I'll explain it. When I'm not gentle, it's because I don't believe the gospel. It's because I don't believe that Jesus is making all things well. It's because I don't believe that God has ordained everything in my life to bring him glory and to make me look more like Jesus. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. Do I see that as an opportunity to exercise the fruit of the Spirit and look more like Jesus and be gentle? No, I get ticked off. And I flip them off and I say stuff that I'm, that I'm disappointed in. Do you know why? Because I stop believing the gospel. It's not like it's a sin to, you know, to yell at people and trap. That's not the sin. The sin is like not believing the gospel. Not seeing that as an opportunity for God's sovereignty to mold and shape me to look more like Jesus. Okay, now look at the steps. You know, between Romans 8 and Galatians 5, look at the steps that Paul's made. Walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit means believing the gospel not just like, oh yeah, Jesus, I, I, I remember that guy. Yeah, it's true stuff. Not just believing the gospel in that sense, but believing the gospel in the way that makes you not get angry when you're cut off in traffic. The way that makes you not defend yourself when your spouse says something about something that you don't agree with. That sort of gospel belief that keeps you gentle. The heart of the fruit of the Spirit, the heart of walking with the Spirit is believing the gospel. It's trusting Jesus that he is taking you to new creation and that he can do it. All right, let's unpack more of this next week when we get into like that, the target, new creation, and what walking in the Spirit, how walking in the Spirit can get us there. And Paul's going to give some specific examples about life in the Spirit, including how to pray in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. All right, more on that next week. Let's pray. Uh, God, uh, continue uh, working the power of your Holy Spirit in us so that A, we are convinced that we are your children, and B, that we walk in the Spirit, setting our minds on your things and experience the fulfillment of being, uh, actually experience the fulfillment of being your daughters and sons. Uh, and we can't do this unless your Holy Spirit does this in us. And so we're asking him to do it now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me and we'll continue in prayer. Let's pray. God, I pray uh, that you would uh, convince us all, I, I continue in prayer, I should say, that you would convince us all that your Holy, Spirit, um, your Holy Spirit has joined us to you and that the cravings that we've had our whole lives to belong, to have respect, from, uh, to have respect ourselves from peers that we respect, to be uh, accepted, no questions asked, by friends and by a spouse and by parents and by kids, that you are bringing that to fulfillment by joining us up with the ultimate peer group, you and your Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Convince us that you, by your Holy Spirit, have pulled us into this group so that we need not earn any respect or love or affection or commitment that you have given, to, you have given that to us and your Son, Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I want to pray, and probably end up praying this next week and the uh, week after that too, maybe as well, that you would be with our rising seniors uh, there as there's so many uh, pressures in our culture, uh, so many lies that are being told about fulfillment, 
that fulfillment comes from making money or being respected by peers or having a vibrant sex life or uh, having a nice house or uh, being thought of as intelligent or funny or being thought of as a good parent. Uh, God, show these lies up. Not that these things are bad, but show these lies uh, as centers of our universe, as they intend to be centers of our universe. They intend to be God. Show these lies up for what they are and turn our minds to the things of the Spirit. Help us to get our fulfillment and our identity only in who we are in your Son, Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray again, like we have been praying, uh, bring health to everybody. Uh, uh, Cure us of all sicknesses. Cure us of all broken bodies. Cure us of all fractured relationships. And maybe not even relationships that are fractured, but relationships, close relationships, uh, spouse relationships, kid relationships where we sense, maybe it hasn't even been spoken out loud yet, but we sense this hazy barrier between us and the one we uh, love. Father, take these barriers down. Renew our relationships in your son, Jesus. And uh, also, uh, Father, specifically, I want to pray that you would uh, heal this world of the coronavirus and that you would restore those who are sick now to health, that you prevent those who aren't sick from getting sick, that you would be with uh, our medical professionals, and that you would give them strength and courage and keep them in good health as well. And not just the coronavirus, but all sicknesses and all diseases. Jesus, come back and make all things new. Lord, in your mercy. God, we can't come into your throne and pray these things unless we come covered covered up with the blood of your Son, Jesus. And so we praise you that you have covered us with his blood so that when you see us, you see him. And we can only pray this in his name. Amen. Let's confess our faith uh, as Christians with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Behold Him. 